been a bit of a heavy morning, hasn't it? Some of uh, the things that are going on overseas, even with our own uh, nation and things that are going on there. And I just, I just want to encourage you from these opening words from Psalm 46. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And later on, within that same passage at the very end, talks about God's care, and he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. For those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, it is true then and it's true now. God is still sovereign over history, even though things may seem chaotic. You know, this, this letter of the Philippians, it's written by the Apostle Paul, who is in jail, who's writing this letter. And from a human standpoint, circumstantially, that's not what we would choose. But God uses those circumstances actually to advance the gospel, as we've talked about. So our hope is in the Lord. It's not in circumstances around us. It is indeed in the living God who sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've heard these words somewhere in some church. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Anybody heard that before? Do you know there are more words to that? It's a poem written by a guy named Edgar Guest. He said, I'd, I'd rather one would walk with me than merely Tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all preachers are men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. Isn't that true? It's not just the words, it's seeing that being lived out in action. Again, as I said, we've been going through the letter to the Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to flip them open to chapter 2. That's where we'll be again today. But the last few weeks, at the end of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says in uh, verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, whatever happens, and he's not sure what's going to happen to his own life. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so he encourages them to stand united for the gospel, for this good news. To not look to their own interests, but to the interests of others. As Christ is our example, who being in very nature not God, emptied himself, became a slave, a human, was obedient, obedient to the death on the cross. And so he calls us to work out our salvation. That is to you know, put our faith in action and know that it is God 
who is, to will, is at work to will and to bring about his good purposes. So he's the one who's going to do it. We should do everything without grumbling, without complaining, but to shine as stars in the heavens as we hold out the word of life, the gospel, and to be willing to be spent, just as Paul talks about his life being poured out like a drink offering. Because all of us are going to spend our lives on something is what we're spending our lives on going to last. And so as we kind of get to the end of this, Paul kind of turns around and starts talking about what's going to be happening next for him. He gives us a little information on his plans and his intent. But he also spends the time to commend a couple men whose lives and conduct emulate what he's been preaching about, what he's been trying to impress upon the Philippians. Again, that they would conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And one might say that their lives are preaching a message, if you will. And it is a message that's worth hearing. It's commendable, it's worth imitating. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig into what Paul put forward for us today. Lord Jesus, again, I thank you that you were at work in the Apostle Paul to give us these words. They are your words to us. And I pray that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and that we would be people that are about the business of not just hearing, but living out what you teach us. So give us spiritual eyes to see what you have for us, and then give us the grace to live it out. Thank you, Jesus. You are a good Savior. You are Lord. There is no other. And all of history is in your hands. And we thank you that we are yours. It's in your name I pray these things. Amen. You know, the Christian life isn't just a set of doctrinal statements, of moral maxims, of following the instructions. At the end of the day, it's really about relationship. Relationship with the living God who sent His Son to live a life we couldn't live, pay a debt we couldn't pay, conquer a foe we couldn't conquer, and He is alive and well today. And we have the audacity to think, yes, His offer is that He can come and live His life in us and through us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So there's a, a vertical relationship, but there's also a horizontal relationship with others. Others who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the living Christ dwells within. And he's called us to live this life together. There are a ton of one another statements all throughout God's word as we rub shoulders together. And as we put it here at Berean, as we together pursue God prepare people, and proclaim Christ. That's what we're about. We're doing it together, not as individuals, but together as a body, as believers, as people who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. And these relationships are so important for our journey because we need the encouragement along the way of the Christ in me, speaking to the Christ in you, reminding each other that He is faithful, that He is good, and actually being the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. 
Jesus oftentimes wants to meet us in his people. And I pity those who exclude themselves from Christ's body because they're missing how Jesus wants to meet them. He's called us to do this together. It's true for Paul. It's true for us today. And so we're going to talk about some faithful servants to Christ and the joy of serving with them. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be starting at verse 19. Again, the Apostle Paul is kind of sharing some details about what his plans are, but holding up two men who have honorable lives. And he starts out in verse 19 saying, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone who looks out, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him soon as I see how things will go, go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So Timothy, the faithful, Christ-centered, spiritual son of Paul. By the word, the name Timothy means one who honors God. What a great name. One who honors God. But Timothy was there when the church at Philippi was planted. He was with the Apostle Paul. So he's a known commodity. They know him. Um, And Paul's hope is that he's going to send Timothy as his representative. And one reason, he says, so I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Paul has deep concern for this church. He has a great affection for them. And his heart's desire is to rejoice in a good report when Timothy might go and then come back. But even more so, it's the unique person of who Timothy is. He says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. Literally, I have no one else that is like-minded like him. And so the first thing I want to point out is that Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son, or Paul was his spiritual father, I should say. Timothy's earthly father was probably out of the picture. He was a Greek, and as far as we know, he he disappeared. He had no real spiritual input into Timothy's life as far as we know. And like some of us, Paul became a spiritual father to, to Timothy. Like some of us, somebody else who wasn't our biological parents came alongside of us and encouraged us spiritually. And so Paul said, hey, I see what God is doing in you. I want you to come on the road with me and preach the gospel to places where no one has heard it. And so again, he was there when the church at Philippi was born. And even more so, he's got a father-son bond between Timothy and himself that's so strong that, hey, what, Tim, what Paul feels, Timothy feels, and what Timothy feels, Paul feels. 
there's a, that connection. When Timothy comes to you, he's going to have the heart of Paul. He says, I have no one else like him who is like-minded, who's concerned for your welfare. Concerned for your welfare. And you, you may think, well, that, that's, that's not a big deal. But it is for Paul. Because he's concerned about this church who he planted. And Timothy was, the, the Philippians were not the only church Paul ever sent his, Timothy to. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse um, 17, to the church of Corinth, he sends him there. For this reason I have sent Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So when you get Timothy, you get the heart of Paul. That's one of the things. He's like-minded with Paul. Now some of us kind of handed a spiritual heritage from either a parent or even a, a spiritual parent that we care about. You know, when I was growing up, my parents took me to a place called Penile Mission in Oakland, California. And it is the hood. I mean, it was the hood. And you had people coming off the streets who were drunk, who were on, on you know, drugs and things of that nature. But it was an opportunity to minister to them. And, and so my mom, we as kids dressed up in our, our Sunday best and sang, and another gentleman named Bill Bloomer delivered gospel messages to these men and women. And I will tell you, it had a huge impact upon me about how God sees people and a huge impact about how they need to hear the gospel. I'll tell you, that's one of the reasons why I'm drawn to a ministry like Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge. It is a spiritual heritage that I've had. Some of you have a, a spiritual heritage having gone to Haiti. You are hazy positive. And you, you, your heart beats because of the, the, you know, the, really the legacy that's been given to you. Some of you have uh, a heart for some place like, like a camp victory. But that's because it's been handed to you. This is, this is the heritage that Timothy had. That's, some of us have even today. But ultimately, it's because it's what's been handed to us. And not only this, one of the reasons that Paul wants to send Timothy is he has genuine concern for their welfare. And listen to this, verse 21. For everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. Another reason why Paul sends Timothy is he's not a mixed motive man. He's not a mixed motive man. His concern is for the Philippians, for their welfare, and his interests are those of Christ Jesus, not his own. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about earlier. He says in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. When you look at Timothy, he is a man who is other-centered. You see, for Paul, there were too many in his, his own personal orbit who were more concerned about their own brand, making their own name known. More than that, of 
the people they were even ministering to. Remember, there were those earlier in, the, in, the, in this letter where they were preaching the gospel, but they were doing it out of selfless ambition. Yeah, Paul's excited that the gospel is going forward, but he's not going to trust the spiritual care of this precious group of people to these people. Timothy's motives were ones that could be trusted because he had the welfare of the Philippians in mind, not his own. And let me tell you people, motives matter. Motives matter. Let me say this to you, especially some of our younger people that are are growing up here in the church. You may find yourself one day in a place of spiritual authority, of spiritual leadership. And let me tell you, that is, that is a heady brew. Here's what I mean. It can be intoxicating. You can get full of yourself. You can have the wrong motives. And things can end up badly for yourself and for others. You can be in a place where you can start to abuse people where you take advantage of them as they're vulnerable. You might abandon, start something and abandon them. They get disillusioned. What is, is this what it means to follow Jesus? Or you may get burned out if you're going to serve Jesus. Make sure that your motives are pure. That they are to serve others, not yourself. You know, we have some really quality young people here, and I, I'm proud of what I see. But when you go to your college, and maybe you're entrusted with some leadership in a campus crusade for Christ, or an inner varsity, or whatever ministry might be, you're going to be entrusted to think of the interests of others, not your own interests. And ultimately, reason number three why Paul trusted Timothy. He was Christ's man. He was the gospel's man. Again at verse 22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Verse 21, it implies that he has the interest of those of Christ Jesus. As we're introduced to Timothy in chapter 1, verse 1, he is a co-slave of Christ with Paul, whose interest is that of doing the Master's will, not his own. And in verse 22, he served or slaved with Paul for the work of the Gospel. You see, Timothy was Christ's man before he was even Paul's son. That was the thing that drove him. He was Jesus' man. And whenever you see somebody who is truly Christ's man, Christ's woman, a sermon is being preached in the life you live. And it will look something like this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, that is a slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the kingdom of God, the greatest is the servant of all. That's what greatness is in the kingdom. 
That's what Paul is trying to express to us. That's the sermon that's being preached in the life of Timothy. There's no one like him. Paul is certainly saying, I wish there were more like him. I think. Does a watching world who's looking at our lives and the in the sermon we're preaching, do they see that you're Christ's man, that you're Christ's woman? You're ready to serve other believers, people outside of the body, so that they can see the Master. And I just want to bring this up. On Friday night, a group of us had an opportunity to help out some folks that are new to the community. And I was proud of, of those efforts. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but I was proud to see Jesus being manifest in you, Bereans who served there. That these people might see Jesus in us. That's what the watching world needs to see. They can see the Master. They can see the Gospel and how it's changed us and how it calls us to serve others. It could be seen in Timothy. It needs to be seen in us. And so, In holding up Timothy, there's some timing here, though. Paul says, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things will go with me. So I can't send him right away. I have to see how things are going to turn out. And he even says, I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But he has to send somebody now. Who's he going to send? And so he holds up this other person. Verse 25. I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Epaphroditus, fellow soldier, who put his life on the line. Notice what he says. He's a, he's a brother. That is, he's a believer. He's a co-worker. Someone who's worked alongside of me for the efforts of the gospel. A fellow soldier, that is somebody who has been in the trenches, who's suffered, who's striven, who's fought with me. And your messenger, the one you sent to me, the word actually used in the Greek is the word apostle. So it's, an, it's not always a title, it is a, a practical um, manifestation of being someone who is sent. But he's been sent to take care of Paul's needs, his physical needs. Because, you know, in Roman jail, the state didn't pay for your supplies. They didn't pay for your toothbrush. They didn't pay for your food. You had to be reliant upon friends and family. And so, the church at Philippi were Paul's friends and family. Those of you who have been on a missions trip, who've served in a ministry, isn't there a sense of camaraderie that you have with those people who you've served in the trenches with, who you have suffered with, who've you know, gone through bugs in the, the shower with, who, you know, whatever, whatever the challenges were, who you know, saw some spiritual obstacles and prayed together and see those things overcome, there is a sense of camaraderie. We have We have suffered together. We have striven together. This is Paul's sense for Epaphroditus. There's a kinship. 
And Epaphroditus was sent specifically to minister to Paul. And he almost died. Verse 26. For he, that is Epaphroditus, longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. Almost died. But God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but also on me. To spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. <laughs> Paul's going, it would have been very tragic. If the man you sent died, you would be sad. I would be sad. Someone who has come to support life actually died in doing it. But I'm going to send him back to you to alleviate any sense of of anxiety that you have. Remember, folks, there's no Facebook, there's no Zoom to to give you good news. I mean, it was probably a two-week journey if you're just going straight. So he wanted them to be alleviated from from the the stress of wondering what happened to Epaphroditus. And Paul prayed and waited, and God answered their prayer that he would be healed. It's one of the reasons why we pray for each other when we're experiencing physical ailments. But what Paul is driving at is that these are the people that we should esteem in the kingdom of God. Verse 29. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for, your, for the help you yourselves could not give me. Epaphroditus risked his life. He almost died. Yes, part of the illness... There might have been some other things. He probably had to travel with a great amount of money. You're in the risk of being robbed and being killed there. But here's the point. Epaphroditus was willing to be spent. As Paul talked about his own life being offered up as a drink offering. And he was looking out for Paul's interests, not the interests of others. And I wonder if Paul in some ways felt a sense of gratitude and relief as he poured himself out so much for others. And here's one who's willing to be poured out for his care, for Christ's sake. I think he had a sense of gratitude. And even we in our own secular society, we honor those who are willing to be spent, who are willing to serve with their own lives. You know, this Thursday is going to be Veterans Day. We rightfully so honor those who have served in our military to protect us and take care of us. Memorial Day, time where we remember those who have given their lives for our, our sake. We honor them. Armed Services Day, we honor those who are in, in current service. But these are the people that we honor. And this is where we see this sermon being preached in Epaphroditus' life. To be sure within the church, we should honor those who have extended themselves, who put their lives on the line for the gospel. The ones I can think of most readily is those who serve in overseas missions. I think of our sister 
Emily Sorensen. And you can be praying for her. She's had a bout with some E. coli. You can be praying for her. I think of Justin and Jamie. That's why Justin read that passage. He read out of chapter X. He says, hey, I'm willing to be spent for the kingdom of God. And our right response needs to be, yes, I am praying for you. I think there's a, a card out on the, the visitor center, if you want to pick it up, that has all of our missionaries for us to be praying for them. We should admire them. We should hold them up in esteem. And we should give them our financial support. If God is not calling us, then we need to be a part of sending them. But this is not just about you becoming a missionary overseas. It's about all of us putting our lives on the line, again, being Jesus man, Jesus woman, in our places of work, in our places of business, in our places of play, and being willing to be spent and used for Christ's kingdom. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, it really means putting yourself out there. Again, I read this last week, but I just want to remind you of Jesus' words out of Luke 9, verses 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Following Christ is a self-spending proposition on his kingdom. And let me say, tell you, I've been following Jesus since I was a young man. And one of the most tragic things I've seen is some people who seem to put their faith in Jesus, but they were not willing to put themselves out there at any risk to be spent. And as, I mean, you know, God is still writing their story, but what I see is that self-protection has stunted their growth. It's caused them to pursue the world and other things rather than Christ. Will we put ourselves in a place where we're willing to be spent and see the Lord at work? So at the end of the day, here's what I want to ask the question. As we hold up a man who was faithful, as we hold up a man who was willing to be spent, what do the sermons of our lives say? When people look at us even though maybe we haven't even explained our faith. What, what do they say? What is the sermon that's being preached in our lives and what people see in us every day? They're saying that we are men and women who are full of integrity and serving as Christ's interests. Are they saying we are willing to risk and be spent for Christ and His kingdom? I'd rather see a sermon, and hear one any day. That's the message for us today. And now, we're going to head into a time of honoring the Lord Jesus for what He did and being willing to be spent for us. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate sent one, the ultimate apostle, if you will, sent for our spiritual benefit for our care. But as we enter into this time of uh, what we call the Lord's Supper, a couple things I want to say to you. First of all, if you're new to Berean, 
we practice what we call open communion. That means if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're welcome at this table. Because it's His table, and He's the one who invites you. It's not my table.